Hey there, ever thought about what makes your heart beat a little faster? Oh, you mean like when you discover a new track that just speaks to you? Yeah, or finding a movie that you can't stop thinking about? Well, get ready to feel that excitement all over again because Amazon Prime is here to take your entertainment and shopping experience to the next level. Absolutely. Prime isn't just about getting your packages quicker. It's about diving into a world of endless possibilities, from the latest releases to exclusive content you won't find anywhere else. And don't even get me started on the music. Prime offers concert specials that will transport you right to the front room. It's like being at the hottest gigs without leaving your living room. I use Prime to tap in with some of my favorite artists' live shows from any and every genre of music. Trust me, Prime is a game changer. It's like having a personalized superstore and entertainment hub right at your fingertips. So why wait? Head over to Amazon.com forward slash Prime and start experiencing entertainment like never before. Tonight on Revolve Black News Weekly. The FBI prepares to investigate this shooting as a possible hate crime. The aftermath of the Buffalo shooting and the reality of blatant resurgence and radical racism. It does not matter what your notoriety is. If you commit crime, you are going to become a target. Then, rap music on trial. We break down the legal battle of young slime life entourage and the alleged RICO charges in violence and what it reveals about the growing trend in hip hop. Guest correspondent Rochelle Ritchie. As social media continues to weigh in on the thoughts and opinions of Kevin Samuels, we explore why his polarizing opinions continue to trend even after his passing. Living life without fear, putting five carrots in my baby girl's ear. And remembering Biggie on what would have been his 50th birthday, hip hop icons recall notorious B.I.G. and the impact on the culture. To me, he's the greatest. They call me Diddy, but y'all can call me Love. The chairman's takeover of the Billboard Music Awards is still trending high as Queen Mary is still basking in her iconic glow. All that and more as... Black News Revolution starts now. Welcome to the show, everyone. I'm Naima Abdullahi. We begin with the racist mass shooting in Buffalo, New York over the weekend that tragically left 10 black Americans dead in the massacre. That's tonight's top story. A community in mourning after a deadly and racially motivated rampage at this top supermarket. This is an absolute racist hate crime. It will be prosecuted as a hate crime. Authorities say the alleged gunman, 18-year-old Peyton Gentron, determined the grocery store would be a soft target with the high number of black victims inside. Since the start of 2022, there have been nearly 200 mass shootings. The massacre in Buffalo is the deadliest to date, claiming the lives of 10 victims and injuring three others. Among them, 77-year-old missionary and grandmother Pearl Young and 53-year-old Andre McNeil, who went to Tops to pick up a birthday cake for his three-year-old son. We all marched out. We don't want to march anymore. You know what I mean? We want to protect. We want to be protected. We demand. We, we want to demand justice. I'll be damned if a punk test me. For Buffalo-based rapper and activist Kadir Latif, the attack demonstrates a growing epidemic of racial terror for black communities. This man walked to the east side of Buffalo, New York. Buffalo is 
so it, it has been top 10 most dangerous cities in America, not just in New York, in America. Like these people are confident. Council President Pastor Darius Bridgen says the issue of keeping black folks safe is about more than the long-standing debate over gun control. I, I do care about getting assault weapons off our streets. I, I really do. But I, 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 at the end of the day, I care about the ideology of white supremacy in our country. Because let's be clear, this jerk, this murderer, this assassin, it, the, the gun that he had did not walk into that grocery store and shoot the people. He did. White supremacy is a poison. This week, President Joe Biden traveled to Buffalo condemning the attack, but critics say they've heard talks like that before. If someone has stage four cancer, right, some of the best doctors in the world come visit, visit that person. They're just coming to visit a person who has stage four, but they are the, they are the top doctors for cancer. We're coming to visit you. Would that person with cancer, would they be happy? Should they be happy? They're not getting any treatment. They're not getting any cure. These mass shooters might be crazy, but they're not stupid. They target places where they know there's going to be little resistance. According to Republican congressional representative for Florida, Byron Donalds, black communities lack investment because lawmakers take the black vote for granted. Unfortunately, in the black community, there is actually not a real battle of ideas about which political party is going to is going to get that vote. The basic thing is, why would you buy the cow when you can get the milk for free? And while Donald supports public dollars going to communities of color, he's vocally opposed to reparations for slavery, saying the days of systemic white supremacy are in the country's past. But in America's present, the disturbing 100-page manifesto attributed to the shooter tells another story, as do the words written across the weapon, here's your reparations. An ineffective entitlement to some, an act of hatred for others, and for some, a path to healing. With money, with community, it creates jobs. With jobs, it creates less dilapidated buildings and drug houses and trap houses. You have a thriving community when you have jobs, resources, education. The heartbreaking events in Buffalo make yet another mass shooting fueled by hate and racism. And still today, despite the growing number, there is nothing to stop the same exact thing from happening yet again. With us now to talk about this, we have Tariq Nasheed, author of Foundational Black American Race Bader, along with activist and co-founder of Black Opportunities, Hawk Newsom. Thank you both for joining us today for this important discussion. Let's get right to it. The Buffalo shooter had a goal stated in this attack, to murder and terrorize black people. Let's talk about replacement theory. What started as a white conspiracy theory has found its way into mainstream conservative talking points. Take a look at this video. I'm just mm -hmm. four Americans and nobody cares about them. It's no. like, shut up, you're dying, we're gonna replace you. Democrats who wanna replace you, the American voters, I think this will be the last election that the Republicans have a chance of winning because you're going to have people flowing across the borders. As soon as we get rid of all these white men, everything will be great. Now, the same media outlets and elected officials who promote these ideas, of course, they're not directly responsible for the actions of this shooter or any, but should they be held accountable when their comments attribute to people's lives being in danger? I've been on Tucker's show many times. I've been on Fox News many times, and I've told these people to their faces how dangerous their white supremacist rhetoric is because they've been doing that for years. The white supremacists, their numbers are dwindling 
and they don't feel like they can replace their numbers. So them attacking black people, that's not a real solution to their numbers. So what are these killings really about? The killings are about them establishing terror among black people because they need to learn how to rule as a minority. What they want to do is put us in a state of fear so they can create an apartheid state over here the same way they have in South Africa. That's what this is all about. Remember when Dylan Roof did his terrorist attack in South Carolina? He was talking about Rhodesia, meaning how do a white minority rule a black majority and you do it through terrorism. So all of this anti-black racism is about terroristic um, intimidation to us. So this is why we have to prioritize the solutions for us specifically. You know, as we really unpack what the next steps really look like, let's really talk about H.R. 40. It's a bill that would form a commission uh, essentially to figure out if and how reparation would work. Um, and, you know, it has failed to pass in Congress for over 30 years. What do you say to those who feel that we should focus on things that can unite all Americans and that you can't just throw money at the problem? Well, Money and throwing money at a problem is the solution for everyone else except for black people. And when it comes down to um, reparations, they just need to cut the check. And uh, America has to come to fact with the terms that they will never be right. There will never be justice nor freedom in this country until they address what they did to black people. And lastly, I am so tired of the unity and healing talk. Where's it got us? We're still living in an oppressed society. Our schools are failing. Unemployment rates are always higher than everybody, than everyone else's. So we need to stop jacking for everybody. We need to stop running around and, 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 and fighting for everybody and focus on fighting for ourselves. We can love everybody, but our energy needs to be home. Mm. And, you know, as we look at the argument against reparations, this generation of white people are not responsible for what their ancestors did. Is there a strong link between financial losses and historic wrongs? Tariq, I want to start with you. People have these asinine um, arguments talking about, well, I'm white and I didn't enslave anybody. Slavery was a part of the American government. We're not going to go knocking on everybody's door individually asking them about money. The United States government kept our people in slavery, and the debt from slavery has been passed down, and the exploited resources from slavery has been passed down and locked into the dominant white society. Well, whenever we make plays for power and equity and justice in this country, white supremacists are emboldened. They feel threatened because we're shaking up the norm, and no one else would have rights in this country if it wasn't for us. However, all others have reaped benefits from America, benefits that we've been exposed. If you went on a road trip and you didn't stop for a Big Mac or drop a crispy fry between the car seats or use your McDonald's bag as a placemat, then that wasn't a road trip. It was just a really long drive. At participating McDonald's. from. I speak for people in the streets, in the South Bronx where I live, in communities like it. We are saying cut the check. Stop playing around with us and do right by us. We're tired of the rubber checks. We're tired of the blank, empty promises. Cut the check, pay us our reparations so we can move forward. And to also acknowledge, you know, when we saw the image of the gun, it had the word, here's your reparations. What message would reparations send to white supremacy? Tariq? 
Well, the thing is, the white supremacists think they're going to intimidate us by carrying out these types of terrorist attacks to stifle us from asking for our reparations. Here's the thing. When we don't ask for reparations, they still target us. They still kill us. They keep terrorizing low-income areas because they're vulnerable. This is why we need to have our own police force, like we need to have our own resources and protective status so that we wouldn't be sitting ducks like our brothers and sisters were out there in Buffalo. Hawk and Tariq, thank you both for joining us today. You know, the big energy right now is that thoughts and prayers are not enough, which is why this conversation is important on our platform here on Revolt Black News Weekly. So thank you both for chiming in. We are here today about a grand jury indictment that was returned um, that included not just Jeffrey Williams, which is of some notoriety and media attention, but about 28 defendants. That is Atlanta's Fulton County District Attorney Fonnie Willis weighing in on the latest case involving YSL as prosecutors connect the crew to alleged violent street gang activity. The RICO indictment is closing in and in many ways using hip-hop lyrics to crack down on the case. So is it a matter of First Amendment versus the hip-hop generation? That's one question we're exploring. Grammy award-winning artist Young Thug and label mate Gunna locked up behind bars with a RICO indictment that alleges criminal activities. We'll, we'll ask on the different charges for the maximum penalties, and there's obviously many people that are looking at life under this indictment. The catalog of their music not safe from District Attorney Fonnie Willis, who's using it as evidence to link the label to gang involvement. These are serious times. They're serious allegations, and violence in our community deserves maximum penalties. Willis said at the press conference, this alleged gang contributed to 75 to 80 percent conservatively of all the violent crimes in Atlanta. And, you know, to, for her to say that at a press conference, she's going to have to uh, meet that burden of proof. The controversial YSL takedown in the 88-page indictment pinpoints 28 co-defendants in the sweep. The prosecution's evidence alleges YSL associates are guilty of a list of offenses ranging from aggravated assault with a deadly weapon, connection to murder, possession of a firearm by a convicted felon, and the list goes on. It does not matter what your notoriety is, what your fame is. If you come to Fulton County, Georgia, and you commit crime, you are going to become a target and a focus of this district attorney's office. Young Thug's attorney, Brian Steele, strongly disagrees. Mr. Williams committed no crime whatsoever, and we will fight to my last drop of blood to clear him. The RICO charges are bringing up the question, what does this allegation actually mean? The RICO Act, the Racketeer Influenced and Corrupt Organization Act, in 1970 was implemented to take down crime families. And those crime families were given direct orders by their bosses to go commit crimes that would further the whole enterprise of that crime organization. The document details rap lyrics and social media posts in hopes to prove a guilty verdict. Is this constitutional as New York State senators introduce a bill to ban the use of lyrics against rappers in the courtroom? This Georgia DA thinks otherwise. With the First Amendment, we all have the right of uh, freedom of speech. So when we have recording artists, that's how they make money. They make money off of their persona. They make money off of their words, their lyrics and it's entertainment. 
This is where the prosecution draws the line in this case. The First Amendment does not protect people from prosecutors using it as evidence if it is such. The DA's office, YSL's legal team, and hip-hop experts are breaking this case down to a decimal. The offense here is uh, Mr. Williams is only indicted on count 56 and count 1. I would like Bond to be heard by your honorable court. Their fan base considers this a target, listing their contributions to the community over the years. You just gotta just find it in your heart to just try to give back and just help others, especially if you can. Here to join me for more on this case is criminal defense attorney Kenneth Montgomery, radio host Miss Shinika, Kia Shine from Coffee with Kinfolk, and A.R. Shaw, the author of Trap History. Two different perspectives, the tale of two different narratives. Prosecutors are saying one thing, the record label is saying one thing. What do you think? Is uh, YSL a group or a gang? I want to start with you. Yeah, so with the history of, of rap music, we've seen crews, right? When it comes to rappers, they bring crews or entourages. And um, the thing that, that, that this makes this case so interesting is that they're saying that his entourage is a gang. And so what happens is you, go, you have individuals and rappers who come up in, 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 in environments where you're still associated with someone you grew up with who still may be associated in doing criminal activity. You may have known this person since grade school, but if they're still in your entourage, this RICO indictment pretty much allows them to loop everyone in and, and, and be charged if someone in your crew is affiliated with crime. A couple of years back in the state of Georgia, they passed a law basically saying if there were two, three, or more people in a group together that they would be considered a gang. And so it's not really relative to, you know, the record sales to me because Young Thug and Gunna, they are both international music stars. And so, you know, it's hard for me to classify them as gangsters or being in a gang. I personally see them as rap artists and rap stars. Mm. Now, within the last week, we've watched one of Atlanta's most prominent record labels reach a state of emergency where the indictment went from high-profile arrests to the legal trend of taking lyrics to trial. Where are the courts attempting to draw the line between lyrics and life? Uh, Kenneth Montgomery. It's good stories for people just to assume that they're going to be able to use the lyrics but this, the, the lyrics still have to be associated with criminal conduct, and they still have to be applied to the rules of evidence. Now, if they have lyrics that are speaking specifically about a crime, a shooting or a murder or some act, some criminal conduct, then the defense attorneys are going to have some work to do. Let's also address the criticism. Ice-T tweeted out, it's easy to make the streets think you're a gangster. It's hard to convince the feds you're not. D.L. Hughley also tweeted, if you call yourself thug and gunna, what you're probably going to do is go to jail. What do you think about that perspective? It is kind of a uh, hypocritical state of hip-hop where we want the artist to be real in what he's saying. We want that artist to keep it real. But then their scenario where keeping it real goes wrong. But here's the problem. We sell self-hate in our community. Like, literally, we do. That's the problem. We have commodified Black pain, Black deprivation, and it's sold as if it's a commodity. We have bought in and what other people's perception of us is. You shouldn't be prosecuted because of uh, your name is Young Gunner or Young Thug. But you got to be out of your mind if you think 
feds are not going to come or state police are not going to come if you have a trail for them. So these cases are investigated. You have the marriage in between the social media, the alleged overt conduct or act, and if they got informants or wiretaps, that is the formula how you put all these cases together. And, and the level of detail speaks to that. In this indictment, there are 28 co-defendants. Do you think the intention is to put all of them separately on trial or to apply the pressure where some of them may take a plea deal and may give information? First of all, for them to get certain wiretaps, they would have had to have probable cause in place to begin with. So you don't, they may have already had a cooperator. Okay. You just won't know that unless you get to a trial phase. Remember, the concept is it's a conspiracy. If you're trying everybody piecemeal one by one, that goes against the narrative of conspiracy. So they're probably going to group them with the people who have the most um, symmetry or connection. And that's probably how they're going to proceed on the case. And, you know, as we continue to see this play out, it is innocent until proven guilty. So we will see the label and the team make a strong case in the courtroom as well on the defense side, where the attorney has, you know, spoken out saying, my clients are innocent. Um, let's look at the big picture. We look at the indictment. We see the references of rap lyrics, song after song within a catalog of... Hey there. Ever thought about what makes your heart beat a little faster? Oh, you mean like when you discover a new track that just speaks to you? Yeah. Or finding a movie that you can't stop thinking about? Well, get ready to feel that excitement all over again because Amazon Prime is here to take your entertainment and shopping experience to the next level. Absolutely. Prime isn't just about getting your packages quicker. It's about diving into a world of endless possibilities, from the latest releases to exclusive content you won't find anywhere else. And don't even get me started on the music. Prime offers concert specials that will transport you right to the front room. It's like being at the hottest gigs without leaving your living room. I use Prime to tap in with some of my favorite artists' live shows from any and every genre of music. Trust me, Prime is a game changer. It's like having a personalized superstore and entertainment hub right at your fingertips. So why wait? Head over to Amazon.com forward slash Prime and start experiencing entertainment like never before. Within the last eight to nine years, right? It's lyrics that really resonate with being about that life, which then brings the conversation of what's reality and what's creativity. Is this something that's glorified in the mainstream, in Hollywood, and in the music? A.R. Shaw? So it's interesting that you say that rap music is the only art form of entertainment that's used in court. Okay. Uh, the Maryland State uh, Supreme Court last year in 2021 past uh, where rap lyrics can actually be used in courts for convictions. So we're going to see other states probably adopt similar laws where rap lyrics can be used. They've already attempted to do that. You can go back years um, uh, to Helter Skelter, Rock from Helter Skelter, his partner was Sean Price. Rock was charged with attempted murder. Kyle Reeves, who's the prosecutor in that case, actually defended that case, tried to use his lyrics in it. You know, this isn't something new. This isn't a nuance. He's been doing this. And one of the most viral tweets that came out of this, Metro Boomin said, there is a system that benefits right. millions of dollars from this. Yes. And that, you know, where, where does that leave the culture, Ms. Shainika? And I honestly am trying to figure out if record labels are funding the music and the artists how come they aren't being held at a certain responsibility? Our real pain and deprivation is, is their moneymaker. 
Kenneth Montgomery, Miss Shinika, uh, Kia Shine, and A.R. Shaw. Thank you all for chiming in on this conversation. And I want to say before we head out, YSL is also mourning the loss of one of their artists, 24-year-old Lil Keed, who passed away in what is being reported right now as a medical situation. We've seen so many tributes pouring in from Jermaine Dupri, Travis Barker, and so many people. So we also wanted to wrap up this conversation by um, acknowledging that. Thank you all for chiming in on this conversation. And we'll continue it online and on social media. So tap in with us at Revolt Black News. Live a life without fear. Putting five carrots in my baby girl ear. Lunches, brunches, interviews by the pool. Considered a fool because I dropped out of high school. That is Biggie's 1994 hit, Juicy, and close to 30 years later, we're still rocking to the Notorious B.I.G. This month, the hip-hop icon would have turned 50 years old, and at the recent Billboard Awards, some of music's biggest names told me about his impact on the culture, including our chairman, P. Diddy, who was the ultimate host, bringing some flavor and fashion to the night. We're coming up on what would have been Biggie's 50th birthday. Talk to me about his impact on the culture and how even today his presence is still being felt. Wow, I would have to say Biggie is probably the most impactful. To me, he's the greatest. The 25th anniversary of Biggie Small's death comes at the same time the music legend would be celebrating his 50th birthday, May 21st. His impact on culture, I mean, you can see it for yourself. His imprint is everywhere. I mean, even from the Versace shades, man. I, I just right. got, I got my Versace frames in the back. Biggie is just one of those guys that his music was, is never going to leave. Like, his music feels good at any time of the day. Fifty years. I wish he was here for his 50th birthday, but you know he is here in spirits. And Diddy brought that spirit and then some to what would be a historic and incredibly personal night for the three-time Grammy-winning star. For me, to be honest, it's full circle. 25 years ago, I won my first Billboard Award, and now I'm back here executive producing and hosting. This is my coming out party, y'all. You know what I'm saying? I'm bringing in a higher frequency, a higher vibration that I feel is needed. I'm here to unify, I'm here to uplift, Absolutely. and I'm here to, to love, you know what I'm saying? What up, friends? Come here, boy! What's up? What's up, baby? What's up? You, good? you know, I got my whole my whole family's out here. It's, it's like it's like it's, it's like a wedding. Yes, it I'm, is. I'm not gonna lie, it feels like a wedding, you know what I'm saying, without the prenuptial. <laughs> I'm gonna take big with me, I'm gonna go rip down this show. Love. We are coming to you live from Club Love. Your dad's hosting tonight. It's a family affair. And what do you expect from him tonight? We've been to a few rehearsals. We're just really excited to see, like, what he has in store. And not only did their dad perform his heart out with an impressive 10 wardrobe changes, but at the same time revolutionized the hosting game, refusing to go the typical route. I told the producers I'm not listening to anything that they say. I'm the vibe curator. The Frequency Elevator, Black Brother Thunder, The Chocolate Boy Wonder. They call me Diddy, but y'all can call me Love. So we're tapping into our energy, y'all. On the count of three, say energy. One, two, three. Okay. That energy and big, big energy. It's
Brought wins for Megan Thee Stallion and Doja Cat. I've always loved R&B. Growing up, it's what raised me. But the night's biggest surprise, Janet Jackson. Welcomed by thunderous applause, wearing a custom Tom Brown tuxedo dress, topped off with a top hat. What makes an icon? The answer is tonight's recipient of the 2022 Billboard Icon Award, Mary J. Blige. The R&B songstress owning her moment in a sexy mini dress with countless eye-popping cutouts. Look, I'm in a dream right now. I think people think icons are born that way, but that is definitely not the case. It takes a lot of time, hard work. I was ghetto fabulous and I still am. <laughs> and it was a fabulous night of fashion. Following Mary's lead, Megan Thee Stallion wore a futuristic cutout mini dress while Doja Cat came with some strategically placed pasties. Travis Scott brought girlfriend Kylie Jenner wearing a stunning skin-tight gray and blue-toned gown. But imagine being upstaged by your four-year-old daughter Stormy in this adorable white one-shoulder dress and sneakers. I want to get into these outfits. So, so Jesse and I, we actually kind of designed this. Me and Jesse are really into like flare pants right now. Fabulous. Yeah, we like came up with the design and then Giovanna Lewis, she made it for us. We didn't even have to alter or anything, it was perfect. And apparently I was on trend in a sea of purple glitz and glam. Becky G and purple feathery fun, JT and Young Miami completed their matching looks with a purple ruffled hemline and pumps. And look at handsome Quincy Brown bringing us that lovely lavender. Quincy, we got the purple memo. I think we came together. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> Are we going to prom? Like... Well, what are we going after this? <laughs> Let's just say the chairman and all those drip changes made an unapologetic mark and shook things up. <laughs> all right, when we come back, our guest correspondent Rochelle Ritchie takes a deep dive into the Kevin Samuels polarizing legacy when it comes to the black battle of the sexes. We have evolved to find more slanted eyes, some are attractive, especially when they're not on Asian. Wow. Wow. But that, 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 that's, not what gets, that's not what gets translated. Most of the time, people take my clips and cut it down to something that's going to make a viral moment. It's going to start a conversation. Take the good with the bad. That is the late Kevin Samuels, seemingly shocking the unshockable Nicki Minaj. Welcome back, everyone. I'm guest correspondent Rochelle Ritchie, continuing the conversation about Kevin Samuels, who even in his passing continues to trend across social media as his manosphere approach still triggers opinions on both sides when it comes to the black battle of the sexes. So what will happen to his movement next? Children can come out of whatever I do. I can be 70 years old, and as long as I'm not shooting blanks, I can make babies. You can't. See, what you prove is that women don't like the double standard. You're good with being a 10 and not caring what an average guy, because you know there's no way in hell you would marry him, screw him, or anything. The death of self-proclaimed image consultant Kevin Samuels shocked the masses on social media. It was running rampant on social media, and of course there were some women, some people who were celebrating because they, they disliked Kevin's message. The amount of anger you have is not my fault. 
It's not my fault. It's not the men's fault. The news left Kevin's biggest haters and supporters weighing in on his impact. This was the first time I think I've seen such polarity, like such duality in um, the reaction, especially in the black community to a person dying, a prominent black man dying. Kevin Samuels don't speak for all men and he doesn't speak for me. I'm not comparing him, but in terms of a person just so focused on their mission, I said it was like Malcolm X. You know what my favorite thing to hunt is? My favorite thing to hunt are fake alpha males, like Kevin Samuels. Who needs an alarm in the morning when McDonald's has sausage, egg, and cheese McGriddles? And a breakfast cutoff. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. People who are poisoning the youth and misguiding them. If you have made it to 35 years old and you're unmarried, you are a leftover woman. He was faking the funk for the gram and karma caught up. If you were an average-looking woman, can you honestly say you'd still be making the same request and or demands you're making? He cut through the noise, becoming the most recognizable voice of the manosphere. Do you think the men rape women? Kevin Samuels' movement, it was aggressive and it was in your face. And I think that's the way, that's what we respond to today. You know, he was, he was giving a lot of information that was true. And I think it's hard for people to see harsh truths. So you just make the deal? Attraction's nothing. Cause okay, see, again, again, I'll try one more time and mm-hmm. I'm going to move on. Okay. Well, let's just take it your way. Yes. Fuck attraction. You're supposed to be the attractive one. Oh, okay. Yeah, I don't care about your attraction. I don't care about love either. Why do you women think you get it all? Here with us today, educator, the Conscious Lee, motivational speaker, Shalakimia Moffitt, associate professor of Black Men's Studies, Dr. Ronald Neal, and host of Black Feminist Rants podcast, Lakia Williams. Welcome you all to the show. Now, I really want to start with you first, Conscious Lee. You know, why do you think Kevin Samuels was so polarizing, and how do you think we even got here? I think that he was so polarizing because at a time in our community, uniquely in the black community, when we were dealing with disproportionate impacts of the COVID virus, when we were dealing with uh, most people from the East Coast to the West Coast being in the streets about Ahmaud Arbery, Breonna Taylor, George Floyd, uh, the manosphere, Kevin Samuels thought it was more appropriate to talk about relationship statuses and women being leftovers and women being damaged goods and, you know, giving his expertise from his two failed marriages. That, that, that rubbed a lot of people wrong. But some people might say there's still room for those kind of conversations, even though we are dealing with some of these social, you know, justice issues. And some people found him to be very helpful. Shalakimia, you're you're one of those women. You found him to be um, impactful. Why? I feel like Kevin Samuels brought a real conversation to the table. It wasn't sugar-coated. It was definitely issues that were ignored in, in the Black community with the Black family, with Black women and Black men. I feel like he was he was just very beneficial to us in so many different ways. But, you know, Shalakimia, as a, as a motivational speaker, though, you know, a lot of people would listen to his language and say, what is motivational about that? I mean, as a woman and as a person that does that professionally, did you find some of his rhetoric motivational? I mean, is it really motivational to ask a man about the size of his penis? Is it really motivational to tell women 35 and over that they're leftovers and they're going to die alone? Um, that I agree with everything he said? You know, absolutely not. But I found 
the motivating things and what he said, like, okay, no, these are real things that, that are going on. These are real conversations that we need to have. Was his approach um, a little different than everybody else's? Sure, it was. When we're talking about marriage and family structure, we really need to talk about systems of oppression and how there's disproportionate um, incarceration of Black people and Black men aren't in the homes because they're being imprisoned. That's impacting the family structure. Black women are being imprisoned and aren't in the home and how that's impacting the kids. We don't need to have this reductive conversation where we're reducing women's value to how many partners they've had, their weight, their age. That's very reductive and that's not going to get us as a community to where we need to be. Where we need to be is talking about these systemic oppressions that are impacting our family structure that's coming from white supremacy, not what this seemingly failures of individuals because those are based in, again, this systemic oppression. Now, Dr. Ronald Neal, you have sort of mm -hmm. adopted this manosphere um, rhetoric that is that is kind of going around and attached to the late Kevin Samuels. What do you think is so positive about the manosphere when it comes to uh, black love and black relationships? I, I think it's important to understand that the, the manosphere, particularly the, the black manosphere, the part from which Kevin, Kevin emerged um, is a response, it's a reaction to over 50 years of defamation, 50 years of vitriol, animus, hatred, misandry uh, towards black men. Kevin Samuels often talked about the color purpleization of America. We know the color purple, Alice Walker's famous novel, and we have seen black women's literature, black women filmmakers, we have heard it in music, we've heard it in TLC, we've heard it in Beyonce's music, we've heard it in Fantasia's music, we've heard it in Rihanna, we've heard it all over the place that black men are trash, black men ain't ish, black men cannot measure up, black men are never, never but wait, enough. wait, hold we on, Dr. Neal, hold on, I gotta stop you right there. You think that all of just the music that's come from women has been um, you know, anti-men. When I think about Jill Scott, when I think about Angie Stone, when I think about a lot of women that have made music loving black men, that, you know, we can go tit for tat because that's also on the flip side where you have men calling women and, and all types of things, right? So it really does go both ways. Yeah, it's, it's not just music and it's not just Kevin Samuels dealing with individual failings. If you listen closely, he dealt with structure. He dealt with mass incarceration, dealt with policy. He talked about the failure of black boys. Why is it that black boys are failing consistently across the board in terms of education and how that is connected to the family structure and how we are not properly socializing black boys because fathers are not in the home. So it is a holistic, it's a much larger picture that Kevin Samuels was painting in terms of family structure and wealth and the like, and it's not just reduced to individuals. Okay. Okay, hold on, y'all, one second. Consciously, as, I want you to go ahead and I want you to go ahead and chime in really quick. As he was speaking, I was looking for a cap because I wanted to put it on my head because that's really the feelings that cultivated me when he was speaking. You see what I'm saying? Let's speak about statistics, right? Statistically in America, six percent of American men outside of race make six figures. Six percent. The entire manosphere was geared around telling women how to capture six percent of the dating pool. Now, how in the hell is you taking into structural concepts and you not talking about how black women are seen as being the less desirable seen on multiple studies? You're not talking about how black women make less sense on the dollar. And you're not talking about that. We're literally the man of spirit chastised women on an interpersonal level about why you couldn't do what you was doing. And then the idea, the last thing I'll say is that Miss Andrew, fam, you cannot deny that Dom women domination to women and then say men are being oppressed. Right now in our country, we're dealing with the potential overturning of Roe v. Wade. 
This is white men telling black women and all women what to do with their bodies. Oh, Miss Andrew, to me, especially hearing this come from a man that's old enough to be my father, it's like, fam, cut that out. Any too respectfully, I definitely would love to debate you. I would love oh, to debate you. Like, Consciously, do you do you understand that that some black women help help white people oppress black men? Do you understand that? Agree. They do. Yeah. So so when Lakia was talking about oppression in in the jail system and things like that, yes, we're oppressed by another culture. Black women are oppressing men inside of the culture for a very long time. I would disagree with those things. Give me an example of how they actually oppress black men. Okay, so let's talk about the family structure like Lakia was saying. We never sit up and have a conversation about the women that keep their children away from the father. We never have that conversation. That's happening at high rates in our community. People can ignore it, but it's happening. Black women do not oppress black men along with the white people because oppression comes with power. There might be some disagreements and you know interpersonal issues, but on a large scale level, black women are not oppressing black men. We don't have the power, the systemic institutionalized power to do that to black men. Black women have been weaponized against black men. Black, black women have been weaponized through the welfare system. They have been weaponized through criminal courts. They have been weaponized through the family courts. They have been weaponized in a variety of ways to create division between themselves and black men. The white power system, the white power system uses black women in very convenient ways to keep black men in their places, okay? Dr. Neal, I, I want to say this really quick. When I think about what you're saying, I hear you saying that black women have been weaponized um, against, you know, black men. And there could be, I guess, maybe a little bit of, tr of truth to that. But it's not black women that are purposely doing it. It is not black Thank women you. that are responsible this, for the system Thank that you. creates white oppression. What's happening is white people are using this sort of oppression to put us against each other. But really quickly, and in five seconds or less, how do we move forward and balance this out? We move move forward by just ending the Manasman movement altogether, because it's a deep-seated hatred of women. Uh, I think you just have to have brutally, calm, brutally honest conversations about what's going on between men and women uh, in Black society. I feel like we move forward when we stop looking at each other as competition and we understand that feminism was never for black women. All right, and consciously, I know it's hard, but five <laughs> seconds, how do we do it? <laughs> I'm a debater. Whoever want to get that smoke, holler at me. That's how you're moving forward. Education is elevation. All right, well, thank you all so much uh, for being with us. Being with us, Very riveting conversation. Now, Kevin continues to generate buzz. Social media is still talking about the irony of his cameo appearance on the FX hit Atlanta, which aired last week, and the awkward timing of the episode so soon after his passing. All right, up next, our Revolutionary of the Week. On behalf of the eight generations of my family who have been in this country, we're going to put a little fuel in your bus. My family is making a grant to eliminate their student loans. That was the surprise no one saw coming at Atlanta's very own Morehouse College in 2019. Commencement speaker Robert Smith vowing to pay off student loans for the graduating class. And exactly how much did that cost? We're talking $40 million. Welcome back. And that moment of benevolence started a movement of the wealthy stepping in to help the future black minds of tomorrow as we look at the graduating class of 2022 and the financial burdens they face. We tip our hats to salute the multiple revolutionaries of the week making a difference in the culture. It's commencement season again. Students around the country are saying goodbye to their college campuses and preparing to take their next big steps out into the real world. 
But some lucky members of the class of 2022 are finding that they have more to celebrate. You are debt free. At Wiley College, the entire graduating class learned that they would leave their alma mater debt free thanks to an anonymous $300,000 donation to the Texas HBCU. And wiping out loans isn't the only way students are being celebrated this year. Commencement speaker and alumnus Pinky Cole wished the Clark Atlanta University graduates well by investing in their futures. I have partnered with Varro Bank to provide every single graduate in this audience with a new LLC and a path to entrepreneurship. In her speech, the Atlanta restaurant owner urged graduates not to fear failure, sharing this advice to encourage the new generation of entrepreneurs. When they won't give you a seat at the table, build your own damn table. Congratulations and job well done. And Rochelle, thank you for being here with us at Revolt Black News. Looking forward to having you here again. Thank you so much, Naima. So good to be here. That does it for us. We'll see you next time. Have a good one. stop for a Big Mac or drop a crispy fry between the car seats or use your McDonald's bag as a placemat, then that wasn't a road trip. It was just a really long drive. Bada ba ba ba. At participating McDonald's.